Due to COVID-19, this podcast was recorded remotely and may contain adult language and themes. Hello and welcome to TV DNA. We are back with the first episode of the final season of The Walking Dead. Back to where it all began for us. I'm here with Neil Shepek. Muchas gracias, amigas. And Damien Cooper. Hello! My name is Adam Henning. Let's get straight into this. What did you think of the first episode? I loved it. I thought it was really compelling, exciting. A lot of stuff happened. We'll obviously get to all the details. They also started to play around with some different filming techniques, which was really exciting. I have to say, I, I really enjoyed it as well. It's set up this final series quite nicely. I think the opening five, ten minutes were pretty good. And I think they set a high bar and they, they managed to, to keep to that throughout the whole episode. It had everything for me. We got a little bit more of the Commonwealth. We got some more development in the Maggie-Negan conflict. So let's just give a quick recap on what, what actually happened in the episode. So we started off with this food mission, the all-female squad descending on ropes into a room full of lurkers. This is the first time for quite a while that we've had lurkers on the show. The show primarily uses walkers. And in the comic books, there's a clear distinction between walkers, which are zombies who move around a lot, looking for things to eat, and lurkers who are kind of a bit more passive until they're aroused and awakened. There was a lurker that had a chomp on Herschel's leg in the prison, but we haven't really seen much lurking going on. Initially, I was a bit confused. I was thinking, what are they doing here? They're either alive or they're not, and, and they're just me, but I got really confused. But, but then but then I got it, and it did take um, a little bit of Googling for, for that question to have left my mind. I just wondered if they were playing a giant game of Sleeping Lions. <laughs> When they started getting up, it did remind me of like a big warehouse party, you know, the, the morning <laughs> after where everyone's kind of groggily getting up back in my student days. Yeah, we've all been there. Then we get back to Alexandria and we meet some more of the Wardens, which is Maggie's group that she's been away with. We meet Agatha, Duncan and Frost. So Agatha, Duncan and Frost are three of the, Maggie's group's best fighters. They're introduced as Duncan gives Herschel piggyback rides, but we haven't really seen much more of them. My thoughts were, oh, great. Yet more people to add to the cast. <laughs> Every time you think they've culled enough of to keep it like a reasonable size, suddenly, you know, a huge group of people turn up from nowhere. I imagine there's a few red shirts there. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. I, I wonder whether this makes Cole a little bit more vulnerable now. Well, none of them were given exposition, were they? Oh, actually, no, there was. One of them was quite exposition-y, wasn't he? So maybe Cole's days are numbered. They've been on this food mission, but it's only they've only really got enough to last for a week. We hear that they've taken on another couple of groups or communities. So there is a need to go back out for more food. There are very few animals around to hunt. So Maggie comes up with the idea of going back to Meridian, which is where she was last. And it's the place that the Reavers took over from her group. And she says there's a lot of food there. So they come up with a plan to go and take back Meridian. And we get some volunteers from the Alexandrians. So Daryl and Gabe initially agree to go. Um, Rosita and Aaron and Carol decide not to. And then once the group set off, we find that it's the whole of Maggie's crew. And they've also brought along Negan, Dog, Alden, Gage and Roy. And Roy may have seemed like he's popped up out of nowhere. But he yeah. was involved in, he's a hilltop guard who was involved in the last season, delivers a message 
at one point. So he's not completely new to us. We haven't met Roy before, but now he's taking a, a slightly larger role. But yeah, it looks like a, a decent squad to go out on the mission. Yeah, you'd think with that gang, you'd be able to get to Meridian. So they're walking along in fairly bad weather and make the decision to go down into the subway. Um, we get some atmospheric, scary sounds coming through, air through the pipes, according to Alden. Negan is complaining a bit about the plan and saying that it's not best idea. Nobody's really listening to him. They find a whole load of people wrapped up in polythene. Yeah, I think there's some really good dialogue in that scene, particularly with Negan's complaining. I think, like you were saying, when the, the creaking from the air rushing through the pipe, and Negan says that's God's way of saying to turn back. Father Gabe says... I think he would have run that past me. <laughs> Negan shoots back with, did you turn your one eye to this? <laughs> is, is this a point to in, introduce the Negan-Maggie face-off? Yeah, absolutely. Negan eventually has enough and calls Maggie out. He, he thinks he's been brought here so that she can kill him. And Maggie counters with her logic and her reasoning for her actions. She says she's a different woman to the one who left. It's all bubbling up, surfaced, really. All of the tension has surfaced. Pretty clear that Negan's on his own. Although he is backed up a little bit by Gage and Roy. They agree with him that it doesn't make sense to go forward. Later on, we find that they've abandoned the mission and just snuck off at the back, um, taking up a lot of their supplies and ammunition. And then towards the end of the episode, they reach a subway car. There's no way through it. They can't open the door. So the only way is to go over it. And one by one, they all clamber up. And it's left with Negan and Maggie at the end. And Negan climbs up. Maggie struggles to get up and is grabbed by a walker. And Negan lets her fall. In true Lion King style. (laughs) I was just waiting for a long live the king. (laughs) <laughs> but Negan did go full scar, didn't he? I oh god! I mean, to be honest, that that moment really did. I, I wasn't too sure which way it would go. I thought, are they going to do a like coming together, like Negan helps Maggie, and that gets their relationship back together? But obviously, no, <laughs> they didn't do that. I found that a, a really <laughs> compelling end to the episode. Fascinating choice, wasn't it? I also wondered whether he was going to pull her up, but he's kind of made his bed now, definitely. (laughs) He really has, but also Maggie's going to come back. (laughs) I I don't have any doubts about that. It's just upping the stakes between the two of them and certainly giving Maggie more reason to hate and want to kill Negan. It's pretty inconceivable they're going to bring Lauren Cohen back for just these few episodes, kill her off um, (laughs) right at the beginning of the final season. So how do you think she's going to get out of this? Do you think someone's going to rescue her or is she going to survive it all herself? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? She's going to find a way to be stuck under a bin. The walkers will try and eat her, but somehow uh, they won't be able to reach her and she'll survive underneath this bin uh, and then miraculously make her way out of it. I mean, Daryl's gone off chasing dog underneath the train car. I can't see him coming back. There's potentially Gage and Roy having second thoughts. But again, I don't really see that one happening. So I think it's either she's somehow going to get out of it herself or maybe there's Reavers are going to come along. I don't know. They want her dead. So it seems unlikely that they would rescue her. It's going to be fascinating to see how they get Maggie out of that, as I'm sure they will. So what do you think's next for Negan then? How's he going to... I think Negan has probably got the most 
complex and interesting and intriguing storyline, certainly within the TV show. The various stages that he's gone through and where he's at now, I feel like his storyline hasn't been completed yet. And I don't know, and this is really exciting, as to where he's going to end up. Because I had a feeling throughout most of the episode that he was he was trying to, or at least that he had a desire to try and sort things out with Maggie. He was, I guess, pushing it so that they could resolve it. Now, <laughs> at the end, when he lets her fall, what is he going to do? Like, like the, the balance between villain and potential hero, anti-hero with him is really good. And I can't make any predictions as to how his journey and development over this series. There has to be some kind of conclusion by the end of this series, as it's the last one. What's interesting is from the moment we get into the tunnel, right, he knows that approaching his terminus, shall we say, the whole, every time he says anything is about him saving his skin, whether it's turn back, let's go out, let's go back to Alexandra, whatever, because if we go back to Alexandra, Maggie can't find an excuse to kill me on the way. Uh, look, if not, there's a chance that I'm going to get used as fodder for all these people wrapped up in bags. You know, there's constantly trying to find ways of making sure that he survives and undermining Maggie, who is the de facto leader of this group. It's all about survival, isn't it? So whether this is like a long-term plan that he never really planned to make things okay with Maggie, he just wanted to make sure that she wasn't a threat or that he's now found himself in a situation, well, if I, don't, if I didn't do something, I was, it was me that was going to die. We're looking at some probably quite horrendously Machiavellian behaviour coming up in the next episode or two. From that point, I don't see how he makes it to the end. If he has let Maggie fall... Scar style, and she survives. I just find it very unbelievable that even in you know ten episodes, fifteen episodes, she's gonna be like, "Oh, actually, I completely forgive you. I mean, I barely forgive you for for absolutely destroying my husband's brains in front of me and traumatizing me for life." Oh, and then you almost you know you left me to die, but it's okay. We can still be buddies. I mean, that is a very toxic relationship. Yeah, I think it's death or exile. Those are the only two options I can really see for Negan now. There is a conflict coming up with the Reavers, so who knows whether he's going to play a part in that. I do just want to say I was really impressed in this episode, but there were many times where Negan was a bit of a comic book villain and a bit two-dimensional. Um, no disrespect to Jeffrey Dean Morgan's performance, but there was definitely a long period of time where there was no depth to him. And I feel that there really is a depth now, particularly by the extra episodes that, that we saw. The, the character has become so much more dimensional and has so much more depth. As an audience, we want more of him, right? We don't want to see him go. We're quite happy with Negan now. So let's move on to the other half of this episode, the Commonwealth crew. We have Ezekiel, Yumiko, Eugene and Princess taken off for level one questioning. And they are individually interviewed in a room by a couple of nameless auditors under the supervision of Mercer, as Ezekiel describes wearing pumpkin coloured stormtrooper outfits. <laughs> For the gamers out there, there was a nice little Easter egg, I think, briefly touching back on what was going on in the subway tunnel when Negan was telling him about what route they should be taking uh, across the city. And he mentioned various stations, including, I think the last one he mentioned was Bethesda, which is also the name of a company that makes 
games. And they made a very famous game called Skyrim. And the opening to Skyrim is your character is sat in the back of a wagon on a horse looking around with, I think, three other people very slowly going through down this kind of old track. And so it was almost identical that open that we saw them on their track in the cart, sorry. I think shot for shot pretty much for the opening of Skyrim, which I thought was a nice Easter egg. So they have to get through this level one assessment or they go through reprocessing. And they're asked lots of questions about their backgrounds. They're repeatedly asked where their settlement is. And it seems like they've agreed to fabricate this story that it's just the three of them who happen to bump into princess but yeah we get these sort of split screen interviews which are quite fun and we find out a little bit more about each of our characters and some of their background there's a bit of hot seating going on yeah absolutely and i, I love the princess's ability to read and identify the different soldiers they all look identical but she can tell who's flirting and who's going to do what and where their weaknesses are i mean that, I found that hilarious. I think it led to them being able to, well, I assume, kill and take uniforms. Yeah, there was a nice bit of unexplained activity there where they somehow managed to get out of their cage and, and get two uniforms. Do you think that princess really knows or do you think it's a, a fantasy that she's creating in her head? I think it's 100% fantasy. I think they were fortunate to get those costumes, but... To be honest, I actually thought, great, they've kind of set up... They don't have to show us how they do it. They've set it up with, with that scene with Princess. But she must have done, because that was the result. The result was they ended up with those costumes, and therefore that must have come from that, surely. Yeah, it was a lovely lead into it. I really enjoyed Princess in this episode. One of the questions the auditors asked that I was really disappointed we didn't get an answer to, what do they use to wipe? <laughs> Yeah, no, that was a really good sequence. And and I thought it did really well. I assume, obviously, for plotline purposes, we're getting this. It counterbalanced, well, what I'm calling the Negan-Maggie side. There was a lot of humour there. I mean, particularly with Eugene, he's always funny, but also with Princess. Uh, and, and also the split screen and the multiple shots that they do, it just gave an interesting new feeling. It's very much set up as though they are refugees. Essentially, they are refugees looking for asylum in the Commonwealth. And we get these cages. There are others who are confused about how long they've been there. Have they been there four months or nine months? There's a lovely moment when they do escape where their auditors and Mercer have conveniently left the doors slightly ajar so that they can see what's going on in those rooms. Ezekiel, when he's being interviewed, has a coughing fit and Mercer looks a bit concerned about all of that. A little bit concerned about whether Ezekiel's going to pass the level one assessment. I mean, he's clearly ill, however lightly or badly, but that's obviously going to play a part. I don't know, Ezekiel's days, as it were, certainly based on the comic book, uh, a numbered in the sense that he died ages ago. They've kept him on for the, for the TV series, so there has to be a reason for that. So it's definitely going to play a part in this. I think what he lacks in good health, he more than makes up for in fantastic monologues. He read that room so well to know, as you said, that the pumpkin-coloured jumpsuits to realise that he's really the person in charge. And I think the way that's all dealt with and how he spins that round from his coughing fit and saying, actually, I won't have any water. He then has this moment of clarity. I really liked that. I felt like that was the beginning of the power shift away from the reprocessors to the reprocessees. 
Do you think he's right in his assessment of Mercer, former beat cop on a power trip? That's a really difficult one because Mercer's a really important character in the comic books. But we all know that the TV series changes things that happen in the comic books. And they've already done that with the Commonwealth. In the comic books, it's initially seen as a very, very positive place. Whereas the introduction to the Commonwealth in the TV show is extremely negative and intimidating. So who knows with Mercer? You can't read him right now. We've not seen enough of the character. What do we think reprocessing involves? This is your kind of classic wearing down until you get the answers that you want. Or do people disappear? I mean, if people have been there for four to nine months, I mean, let's think about resources. Why keep people on if not necessary? Who knows? Is it torture? I mean, like I say, does anyone disappear? Well, I mean, it depends on what you classify as torture as. I'm not talking a Rumsfeldian way. If you keep getting asked the same questions over and over again without necessarily physical torture, it's just a, a case of attrition and wearing down someone's spirit until they give the information such as where were you before you were here. My opinion is probably reprocessing is just continual interrogation rather than torture. And they just get rid of you. If they don't want you anymore, they're not going to reprocess you. You're just disposed of. Well, how long does the reprocessing go on? Eight months? If that is the case, then that suggests a genuine care for humanity, i.e. they're giving people the opportunities to join. At the moment, we're not aware of anyone who's been got rid of. Whatever that may be, that might just be releasing them into the wild. I do wonder whether the other refugees are plants and they are playing a, a role to give the impression that if you're not honest in your answers and you don't give us the information that we need, then you will be here for nine months and there will be some reprocessing event that happens to you. Was you saying it's like immersive theatre? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's also a case of they them looking as to what your value is. So say you have someone who's a doctor yeah. who, who's waiting for processing and you're not getting the answers you want chances are you probably will spend a little bit longer to make sure you that you can have them rather than someone else. So maybe the, the length of reprocessing that is afforded someone is to what their value is to the community. I, I have to answer that with the wall at the end and Yumiko seeing the photo suggesting that she's got a relative there. So in the comic books, that's Michonne. And I'm pretty sure that's where they're going to swap that story in the Michonne gets adopted, let's say, by the Commonwealth because she's a lawyer and that's to do with her skills and her background. But she also has a daughter. Michonne discovers that her daughter's still alive. She knew she had a daughter, obviously. She'd, she'd remember the birth. But she discovers that her daughter's still alive and is in the Commonwealth. I think that storyline is going to be picked up with Yumiko. To some extent, what they have to offer to the Commonwealth is part of this process. As they're making their escape, they come across this wall of photos and notes, wall of the lost. Anyone spot a little Easter egg on the wall? No. The name Heath is there on a note written down. Do oh my God. I think any Walking Dead fan knows that will be absolutely orgasming. Everyone wants to know what happened to Heath and it's never been answered. Heath left us uh, quite a few seasons ago now on a mission with Tara and we've never found out what happened to him. I mean, ultimately he left because he was appearing in the 24 reboot. <laughs> uh, it would be amazing to see that character coming back at the Commonwealth. Do we think that Yumiko will be reunited with with Tommy, I think, or Tommy was the name on the, on the note? 
Tomi, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it would be pretty rubbish if she wasn't, right? You need to have these silver lining moments in a show like The Walking Dead. But the problem is now they're going to get in trouble for doing what they did. So it's about the repercussions of knocking out two guards and stealing their uniforms and what that will then entail and as to whether Yumi will be able to get in. And then I guess the conversation of, well, we saw the the list up, that's my daughter. You have to let me in. Right, well, where were you from? Oh, sod it. Yeah, we're from a place called Alexandria. Well, that's the whole point of this. After Eugene talking to Stephanie, they were coming here to find some help that would be a benefit to Alexandria. That's why I wouldn't refer to them as refugees, because they're looking to make a connection. They're not looking for a new life. That may well change with Yumiko if she takes on the Michonne storyline. Yeah, I agree. I just think it's going to be fascinating to see where this all leads. You know, Alexandria's in a bad way at the moment and the Commonwealth obviously have some resources. 23 more episodes to find out how this all pans out. Shall we have a little look at the scores from our sweepstake? Have you done this, Adam? I, I don't envy you for doing the maths on this. Yeah, it was quite tricky. There's some quite dark scenes, and sometimes it was quite hard to see who was making kills. So for those of you that don't know, the three of us make predictions on which characters are going to die in each episode, and we each nominate a killer and score points for how many kills they make. I've only scored where it was clear to me that it was that character making that kill. No characters died, no named characters died. We don't have to worry about deaths. It's all about the killers. I nominated Negan as my killer. I mean, quite frankly, I don't care if he dies next episode because he only got me three points. <laughs> Slightly inauspicious start for me this time around. Neil, you nominated Maggie as your killer and she managed seven kills in the episode. Do you think that's too low? Yeah. That's... Steward's Inquiry. Steward's Inquiry. Yeah, yeah. Steward's Inquiry. But let's, let's leave it that for now. Daryl, nominated by Damien. He made the full 10. It's a maximum of 10 points per episode. I wish I'd chosen Carol with that machine gun. Fucking hell. Yeah, Carol would have been a good pick. I mean, definitely Rosita and Lydia, they probably would have outscored Negan. I thought, yeah, Maggie and Daryl, I probably were the top two killers in the episode. So well done, both of you. We'll do our predictions shortly. But before that, I thought we'd talk about season openers. We normally re-watch an old episode of The Walking Dead and we haven't done that this time just because we've had so much other stuff to watch. I just thought we'd have a look back on the past 10 season openers very, very quickly and just see how we feel this one compares. To season one, obviously the very first episode, Rick wakes up, discovers the zombie apocalypse and meets Morgan. Season two, the group meets the herd on the highway. This is one of my favourite episodes of the whole thing. Sophia goes missing and there's a chase after Sophia. Season three is where they find the prison. Season four is called 30 Days Without an Accident. It's the start of the infection in the prison and we meet lots of new characters from Woodsbury. Season five is the escape from Terminus. This was a cracking episode, season five. Carol's rescue mission. We get them all at the pig trough, very, very close to having their throats slit by the Terminans. Season six is the black and white episode. It's done in two time frames and they're diverting this massive horde that gets found in the canyon. Morgan features quite heavily in that. Season seven is that episode. This is where Negan kills Abraham and Glenn. Enough said. Season eight is the fight back against Negan, begins at the sanctuary. They have a mission to blow out all the windows at the sanctuary. And we see Alexandria, the hilltop and the kingdom coming together and working together. Season nine, I mentioned this in the preview episode, this is where they all go to DC looking for tools to build a new world. And then season 10, we get militia training on the beach at Oceanside. 
and they discover a whisperer mask. They generally have the common theme of involving as many characters as possible. <laughs> There's usually some sort of big group, apart from the first season and maybe season seven, all the whole group on a mission doing something. And it does set up quite well each season. I'm not sure anything could be more iconic than the first season that sparked my interest and obviously hundreds of viewers all over the world within that when rick comes across the young kid who has turned into a walker for me that will that will always be iconic as as part of the walking dead i agree neil season one and also with the infamous episode the episode that started the game with glenn abraham getting their brains smashed in but i also that Seen in the Terminus, like you said, when they're just over the sink and they manage to get out, that was good because that was one of the few times where I genuinely thought, oof, I think a couple of these big characters could go rather than, oh, I wonder how they're going to get out of it this time. I genuinely thought, right, we could lose some of the big players because that was back when big players were still going, you know, where someone who you think is absolutely safe would genuinely just disappear mid-season. I also was a big fan of the formation, the militia training, shall we say, on the beach. I thought that was a really cinematically pleasing episode. Yeah, I really love the back end of season four where they're all on their way to Terminus and the way that season four ends with them walking into that train car. You know, it just is like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And then season five just opens in such an explosive episode and you're just delighted just to have them all reunited at the end of that. There's a really lovely scene at the end of that first episode of season five where they're all walking along. What you made me think of is when you're not sure if a main character can be killed off, I feel like I've got a little bit complacent with The Walking Dead. I, we were talking earlier about, well, Maggie's not going to die, they're not going to bring you back for this. And there was obviously a period where there were question marks and maybe Maggie has just died. Maybe we don't see her again right now. That's not how I'm watching it. I'm making conclusions based on being safe. But I think we've also been burnt, which is why I said about hide, have hiding under the bin, because too many times we've had those Glenn moments where you think, oh, fuck off. There's no, no, sorry. I can't, I can't buy into this particular storyline. That's nonsense. How has he survived by being underneath a, a wheelie bin? So I think there's that element as well. We've become a bit jaded. There have been some pretty shocking deaths throughout you know, we think back to Laurie, you know, more recently, I guess, Carl and definitely Denise. I mean, she wasn't such a big character, but Denise getting shot through the eye was a was a huge moment. So we do see these characters falling. I think during this final season, we want those stakes to be raised. And I agree. I think the last time that I genuinely was like, oh, my goodness me, was probably when Jesus died. And what, what about The Walking Dead? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, there's also that. I mean, I don't think Jesus in The Walking Dead died for our sins, but he definitely died making the world a better place. So on to our predictions for episode two. The episode's called Acheron Part Two. Reminder that Acheron is the river of woe from Greek mythology. And the synopsis of the episode goes, Maggie's mission takes the team through a subway tunnel challenged by lurking walkers and a recalcitrant Negan. With Eugene's group, Yumiko seeks answers about her brother and demands expedited processing into the Commonwealth. Damien, it's your turn to go first. Can we have your killer and first death predictions, please? This is a tricky one. Uh, it was between two, between Daryl and someone else. But because Daryl did me well last episode, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back my man. 
And I'm going to go for Daryl as killer, which is usually a fairly safe choice. And this will not surprise anyone. I'm going to say Father Gabriel dead. I feel like Father Gabe might end up a zombie sandwich in the subway cars. I was going to choose Gabe. And always back your man, Dave Mode. Okay, I'm going to choose Maggie as killer. I think she's going to have to make a lot of kills to get out of the mess that she's fallen into, literally. As far as death, I'm... Whereas I can't choose Gabe, the other one I was thinking about is Ezekiel within the Commonwealth storyline. Both predicting from positions of strength, whereas I've got some catching up to do. I'm going to make it a clean sweep of repeated predictions for killers, and I'm going to I'm gonna pick Negan. I think he's going to survive. He might have to take out a few people along the way. And death-wise, I'm going to go away from the main cast for my first death. I'm going to predict that we'll see Gage and Roy again. So I'm going with Roy. Demo, second death. Gage. <laughs> it was always going to be one of those two. Um, second, second death is an exclusive. Um, and, and I was also thinking about uh, Gage and Roy. So I'd go for, I'm going to go for Gage as well. I feel I'm competing with Demo right now on points. This is Stickler for the Rules, Adam from the future. Neil couldn't have predicted Roy because that was my first pick and our first picks are exclusive. It was, however, fine for him to select Gage as he did. Good shout. So now I have to pick um, someone from the main cast or the supporting cast. I can't see any of the Commonwealth crew going, which leaves me with Daryl, Maggie, Negan, Alden. Do you know what? I'm going to go for Negan, definitely under threat. Alden or Negan, I think, is the right shout from what's left. We're all going to be gutted if Alden goes next episode, right? (laughs) Absolutely. I won't be able to sleep. I don't have huge hopes of catching you up in this episode, but there's six more to come, so there's still early days. you want to let us know what you thought of this episode of The Walking Dead or give us your predictions for killers and deaths, you can contact us on... At TVDNAPod on Instagram and Twitter. Or you can find us on Facebook if you put TV space DNA in the search bar. Or feel free to send us an email at tvdnapod at gmail.com. That's it then for our Walking Dead episode one review. We'll be back again following episode two. Very much looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye, all. Because of, uh, what's her name on the radio? Not Sharon. Sarah? Stephanie. No, who's the person Eugene was talking to ages ago? Stephanie. Stephanie! I knew it was an S. Let's see, I I don't have huge hopes of breaking the... I don't have huge haps. Ah! I don't have huge hopes of... um, I can't finish the sentence off.